<clears throat> we start with verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. Um, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And then to James chapter 1, from verse 5 to verse 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Then finally to Jude. Verses 20 to 25. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Someone once said that uh, the only things in life that are certain are death and taxes. And I often wonder about that. I'm not sure that the person was right because Elijah showed us that maybe not everybody dies. And, uh, and maybe Jesus in pulling the coin out of the mouth of the fish uh, maybe he shows us that maybe taxes aren't all they're cracked up to be. Uh, in fact, when you really think about it, there is no such thing as certainty. There was a great book written about uh, 15, 20 years ago called The Myth of Certainty. And when I tend to tell people this, that there is no such thing as certainty, especially Christians, a lot of people get upset with me. 
A lot of people get really annoyed at saying that. You know, they'll, they'll say, well, Rod, you know, it's certain. You know, the Bible is certain. Or, or the resurrection of Jesus is certain. Uh, or the fact that we're standing on the earth right now is certain. But actually, is it? Is the fact, are you really here? I mean, one of my favorite stories, that, uh, favorite things, it's a, a, an old Abbott and Costello thing. And uh, Abbott uh, says to Costello, he says, I can prove you're not here. And he says, no, you can't. And he says, yes, I can. Uh, I'll, give you, uh, I'll bet you $50 I can prove you're not here. And he says, okay, I'll take that bet. And he says, you're, you're not in New York, are you? No. He says, you're not in London, are you? No. He says, you're not in Philadelphia, are you? No. Well, if you're not in New York, you're not in London, you're not in Philadelphia, you must be someplace else. And if you're someplace else, you're not here. (laughs) Do we really know that we're here? Do you really know that who you are, who you are? Do you know that we're, do you really know that we're not in some kind of matrix style universe where, where, you know, it's the 20th anniversary of the film. Uh, many people have been talking about it. Do you know that we're not in some matrix style universe just waiting for someone to ask us if we want the red pill or the blue pill? The truth of it is, there is no such thing as certainty. There never has been, unless, of course, you're God. And of course, for God, all things are certain, because God himself defines that. But even saying something like that is a very uncertain kind of statement to make. Now, that is where faith comes in for us. That is why it's so important, and that's why everybody lives by faith, because science is not certain. We've talked about this before, about how scientific discoveries uh, and scientific knowledge has changed over the years. So things that two, three, four, five, six, a thousand years uh, ago people, scientists declared was absolutely certain, we can absolutely believe in this, was later proved to not be certain. So science isn't certain. Your own philosophy isn't certain. Your job's not certain. Certainly our government's not certain right now. I wish there was a little bit more certainty when it comes to government right now. You know, there's so many of these different things that are going on. We think that it's certain. We think that we know. Your bank's not certain. How many times do we put money in the bank certain that we're going to get it out and actually our investments decrease and we don't get the money back that we have? So certainty is an illusion, and that is why everybody has to live by faith. Because faith is that stretch, faith is that step between what we think we know, what we'd like to be certain, and our uncertainty. It's always a risk. We always take a chance when it comes to faith, and we need to understand that. And we as Christians fully embrace that. Because we come to the place as believers in Jesus that we are as certain as we can possibly be in things like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the reality of God, in the fact that God has created this universe, and yet we still need to live by faith. And that faith, as we've been saying for us as Christians, is this choice to believe and to trust, this choice to trust and act, often beyond what we're able to do ourselves, 
based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, founded in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the foundation. That's how we are living our faith every single day. And we have to make a faith choice and we have to live with that reality that there's always going to be a tension in our lives, but that we can overcome that tension. And one of the realities that we live with as human beings is something called doubt. Something called doubt. And we might think that if we saw Jesus face to face, we wouldn't doubt. But look at the story of Peter. I mean, it's what a great story. Uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. He goes up on the mountain to pray. He says, you guys, go on, uh, get out on the water, just go on the other side, I'll join you. I mean, they don't stop to ask, okay, how is Jesus going to join us? I mean, I find that kind of funny. But uh, he says, I'll join you. So they're out, and they're being beaten and battered by the waves. I mean, if you've seen that, uh, the, the cruise ship up in Norway, and the situation there, I mean, it's astounding that this huge cruise ship and how much the ocean is carrying them along. And they weren't on the ocean, they were on a lake, but still in all, it was known for its storms. And so they're, they're having troubles crossing. So Jesus spends some time uh, up in prayer. Then he comes and says, okay, how am I going to get to the other side? Well, he does like, you know, any Messiah might do. He gets out and he walks on the water. Now, I told you, I, I've told you guys that I've walked on the water before, right? A few years ago, I, it, I think it's one of my greatest miracles that I've ever done. I was out in Hungary, and we were there, and I was doing some teaching and things, and we went to Lake Balaton in Hungary, and I walked right out onto Lake Balaton. It was amazing. Of course, it was frozen at the time, but, uh, but it was kind of an amazing thing for me to even to walk on ice. Uh, but, uh, but Jesus here is not frozen. There's, there's no tricks there. He's walking out on the water. And, uh, and they look, and he says, hey, guys. He says, ah, it's a ghost. And uh, he says, no, it's me. Don't worry about it. And Peter, uh, always, the, always the, the kind of the skeptic and the, the challenging guy, says, okay, Jesus, if it's really you, you tell me to come out walk on the water. Okay, imagine this. We, we've, we've become so familiar with this story, but Jesus is there. Uh, Peter is there. And Jesus says, okay, Peter, come. And what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat. This is pretty extraordinary. And he starts walking on the water to Jesus. Now that's amazing. And we'd all like to think that if we were Peter in that situation, we'd be kind of walking on the water. We'd do a little water skiing, uh, this kind of thing, you know, side to side. We'd come up to, to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, good to see you, babe. And give him a high five, you know, and we'd celebrate. And we both, you know, kind of waltz back to the boat and jump inside, you know, and Peter's going, hey, guys, look at me. I was walking on the water right alongside Jesus. Yeah, notice how much I helped Jesus walk on the water. You know, you know that kind of thing. But that's not what happens. He's out there. He's walking on the water. It's like, this is amazing. And all of a sudden, he starts to sink. Here he is. He sees Jesus face to face. He's doing the impossible. And he doubts. And because he doubts, he starts to sink. And he says, help me! And Jesus picks him up. And, and I imagine... Jesus kind of laughing at this point. You know, I, I don't think that Jesus was angry at all. I think he was humorously disappointed. 
And he says, Peter, man, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You were out there with me, and you doubted. I tell you, if Peter, seeing Jesus face to face, while he's walking on the water, if Peter doubts in that situation, how normal is it going to be for any of us to doubt? In fact, what we discover is doubt is a normal part of our human experience. We all face doubts. Some of us face doubts every single day. And I think that there is a healthy form of doubt that we face. And that form of doubt is the kind of doubt that causes us to ask questions. It's good for us to ask questions. It's good for us to have curiosity. It's good for us when somebody tells us that, hey, if, if you'll just give me 10,000 pounds, I'll turn it into 100,000 pounds. It is good for us to ask questions about that. It is good for us to challenge that. It is good for us to wonder. It is good for us sometimes to be a little skeptical. This kind of doubt is quite normal and is actually quite healthy. If we don't have doubt in this way, we will always be taken advantage of, we will always have problems, and we will always fall victim to those who will take advantage of our complete trusting in their supposedly good nature. This is a healthy kind of doubt. We should be asking these questions. We should be wondering. We should have curiosity that flows from doubt. But then there's another kind of doubt, or maybe it's the same kind of doubt, but there's a point at which that doubt moves from being healthy to unhealthy. At the time when it causes us no longer to function properly, when we have so many doubts that we are longing and desiring and driving towards some kind of certainty before we do something, that is very unhealthy. Because certainty is a myth. You will never be absolutely certain this side of heaven. We will never be absolutely certain until we see Jesus face to face. And even then we might struggle. I mean, one of the most extraordinary things about the, the resurrection story is that when Jesus first appeared to his disciples, a lot of them were excited, but the text says, and some of them doubted. Here they're seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ face to face, and they had questions, they had doubts. And at that point in time, our doubts begin to move in very unhealthy ways. And if we don't deal with doubt, if we don't understand it and deal with it, then we will have troubles, like James says. You know, James says, especially if you're approaching God and you allow yourself to continue in your doubting, if you allow yourself to wallow around in your questions, if you cause yourself to desire so much certainty about God that you'll not do anything until you have that certainty that you'll never get, then there's going to be problems. There's a degree where you will never have that certainty with God until you see him face to face. And so if you're demanding certainty... If you're demanding that you don't need faith and you don't need to live by faith, but you can walk by certainty, you can walk by sight, 
then you'll have problems, according to James. And James says, in the end, what you will be is like a wave in the ocean that's tossed to and fro by the winds. That means whatever wind blows, you will flow with that wind. Whatever fad comes along, whatever trend comes along, you'll just move with that. Over the years that I've been a Christian and a pastor, I have seen so many people, because of their doubt, just get blown one way and another. You know, some people, they go from being a Christian to being a Buddhist, uh, to being an atheist, to to being a something elseist. I I don't know what you call it. I mean, it just goes around. I remember a guy in in, uh, a church that I pastored. He was actually an elder in that church. And he got caught up into some really weird pseudo-religious self-help kind of thing and ended up walking away from his wife and walking away from his faith. It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life. But that happens. That's exactly what James says. We're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind that starts blowing along. And we will be unstable in all our ways. If we don't understand this doubt and choose to walk by faith, we'll have this instability in our lives that will make us victims to everything. And furthermore, if we're walking in this kind of doubt, this unhealthy doubt, and we allow it to to continue on, we can't even expect that God is going to give us anything, that God will answer our prayers. Because in the end, we'll be double-minded. We'll say, okay, well, maybe God is a good God, but uh, maybe God's not such a good God. I don't know which which is the case. And so if we go through good times, God's a good God. If we have any kind of struggle in our life, suddenly God is a not so good God. And we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that's a tragic situation to be in. It's a tragic situation to be in. But ultimately, there's good news. Because I love what Jude says. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Isn't that good news? Be merciful. You know, God is merciful to us when we doubt. And we are to be merciful to each other. Let me tell you, from time to time, I have doubts. I have questions that arise. And the doubts cause me to go closer to God and cause me to delve deeper into God rather than to run away from God. Because God wants to be merciful to those who doubt. And I've known a lot of churches that as soon as somebody questions something, you know, can Jesus really be risen from the dead? You know, what they do, they pounce on that person. They say, oh, you heretic, you terrible person, get out of our church. When actually we should be merciful and say, yeah, I understand that you might have questions about this. Well, let's, let's explore and see what the truth really is. Let's go deeper. Because God is merciful to us when we doubt, and we are to be merciful to one another when we doubt. So how do we deal with doubt? How do we disarm doubt? Well, we need to understand a little bit about why we doubt. Why we get into unhealthy doubt. Now, I'm not talking about healthy doubt here. 
Healthy doubt, as I said, comes from legitimate questions and investigations that we raise, causing us to go deeper in our search for the truth. That kind of doubt's very healthy. But why do we end up having unhealthy doubt? How do we end up becoming somebody like Peter, who is walking on the water and all of a sudden he sinks? And how many times have we seen that? A Christian who seems to be walking great with the Lord and then all of a sudden they sink. All of a sudden they kind of fall away. Well, we need to understand where this unhealthy doubt comes from. Why this unhealthy doubt begins to rise up within us. One of the reasons why we have an unhealthy doubt is because we lack the knowledge that we need. Hosea tells us, uh, God speaks to the prophet Hosea and says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And it's important to understand what God's saying here. Uh, God is not saying my people are destroyed from a lack of intellectual facts and figures. The word knowledge here is a knowing that comes through intimacy and experience. It's the same kind of concept when it says Adam knew Eve. I know Adam it didn't mean that he knew her name, right? You understand what the text is saying there. There's an intimate interaction between Adam and Eve that allowed Adam to know Eve. And the same kind of idea is, is present here. One of the reasons why we doubt as Christians is because we don't really get to know who God is. And if we say that faith is based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, if you don't have a true knowledge of God, you will always have doubt. You will always have questions. For example, if you don't have the true knowledge that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, as, as people say, if you don't have that as true knowledge, then if you go through a difficult time in your life, you'll start to say, well, God must not be good. And you'll start to have doubts about God. And you have that because you lack a true knowledge. But as Paul says, you know, if God didn't spare his only son, Jesus, how will he not give us every good thing? Jesus is kind of the evidence in his cross and his empty tomb of the goodness of God. So whenever we have a lack of real knowledge of who God is and God's ways, we will experience an unhealthy doubt. So what's the antidote to that? It's to pursue God. Get to know God more. Dive deeper into the Word of God. Talk to people who have long-term experience of God. I have a lot more knowledge about God now at my age than I did 40 years ago. And it's probably a good thing. I've been walking with the Lord a lot longer now than I was 40 years ago. So we need to pursue after that knowledge to get to know God as much as we possibly can. Another reason why we can have uh, the doubt really rises up within us is oftentimes our focus is in the wrong place. Notice what happens to to Peter here. Peter's there. He's looking at Jesus. He's walking on the water. Then all of a sudden, what happens? He starts looking around him. He looks at the waves. He looks at all the different things that are happening around him. And because of that, because of, of that, that divided focus, he starts to doubt and he starts to sink. 
So whenever we take our eyes off Jesus, whenever we allow our focus to become divided, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle with a sense of doubt. Another reason that we sometimes struggle with doubt is that we don't make a decision. Frankly, we need to start learning how to make a decision. And many people today don't, and they doubt because of it. Like, for example, when Karen and I were dating, uh, if I kind of thought, well, should I marry her? Shouldn't I marry her? Should I love her? Shouldn't I love her? I guarantee you we never would have gotten married. But there came a day, and it actually came probably a few years earlier for me than it did for Karen. Uh, There came a day when I said, this is the woman I'm going to marry. I made that commitment in my mind. I made that decision. And once I made the decision, making the decision started to push away the doubts. A lot of people are like that with Jesus. Frankly, that's why we talk a lot about making a decision for Christ. Surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. It's a decision that you have to make because if you don't make the decision, you'll always struggle with doubt. But once you make the decision, doubt will begin to dissipate. But the problem many of us have is when you say yes to one thing, it means you say no to everything else. When I said yes and made the decision for Karen, that means I said no to every other woman. And we have to do the same thing in our lives. Once you make a decision yes for Jesus, you say no to every other God. And so some people struggle because they have failed to make a decision Others struggle with doubt because they don't act. Once you make a decision, once you have the right focus, once you have knowledge, you need to act on that knowledge. There are a lot of people who will spend eternity in hell who had the knowledge about who Jesus really was, that he really rose from the dead, who, uh, who wanted to make uh, a decision and, and said, yes, I'm willing to say yes to Jesus, who are focusing on Jesus, but frankly, who never acted on their decision, and consequently, they're not saved. We need to act. Not only do we need to decide, but we need to act. In the failure of acting, the longer we hold back on whatever it is in our lives, the more doubt we will deal with. So you've got to get the focus, you've got to get the knowledge together. You, you, you have to make a decision, but you have to act on the decision. And there's another reason that we struggle, and that is because we don't persist then in our acting. We don't keep going until we see things happen. I've seen people do this all the time in their lives. They're dealing with a, maybe a sin issue in their lives, and they know that uh, they need to act, and so they decide to repent. They act on that repentance to turn away from it, but they don't persist in their turning away, and so they turn back to the sin. As Christians, once we've decided to surrender our lives to Jesus and we're saved, we need to persist in our acting as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the failure to persist will always lead to doubt. 
I've seen this many times. You know, somebody, they're, they're going great with the Lord. They're walking with Jesus. They've surrendered their life to Jesus. They're acting on that. They're coming to church or hanging out with Christians or engaging in the fellowship. And all of a sudden, they, for whatever reason, it's always a good reason. You know, maybe, oh, I don't feel well today, so I'm going to stay home. I won't, I won't keep going to church. Uh, or, you know, I've got the, this big run that's on and the streets are closed, so I'm not going to go to church. Or, you know, any, any reason there. And so that happens one Sunday. And one Sunday is probably okay. But then when it happens two Sundays and three Sundays and four Sundays, and very quickly what happens, they fail to persist in their discipleship. And as soon as we fail to persist in our discipleship, we open ourselves up to unhealthy doubt. And then we'll start to say, well, you know, did God really say that I needed to go to church? Did God really say that I needed to hang out with Christians? Did God really say that, uh, that I need other people to be a Christian? Maybe I can just be a Christian on my own. That's perfectly fine. And we go on and we go on. And before you know it, people have completely fallen away. They're not living the life. They made some vague decision in the past. And they're filled with so many doubts that their life doesn't count for anything because they failed to persist. They failed to keep on. Once we understand these things, we can know what we need to do. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. We need to dive deeper and get to know God and the things of God more and more and more. We need to make a decision and then act on that decision and then keep on acting until we experience the fullness of the breakthrough And that's the way that we overcome doubt. But we also must understand the nature of faith in the midst of all of this. Faith does not mean that we will be certain about anything. Faith is what empowers us to act in the midst of our uncertainty. Faith does not mean that we will know everything that we want to know. You won't know everything you want to know about God. You've got lots of questions that God doesn't ever intend to answer this side of heaven, but one day you'll see him and you'll have all the answers. Faith can exist even when you don't have all the knowledge. Faith doesn't mean that you'll see where you're going. It just means that maybe you'll see the next step to take. And you step out. Faith means that we step out of the boat in the stormy times of life. But we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And we don't focus on the waves. And we don't focus on the winds. But we focus on Jesus. And we keep going toward him. And as we do that, we will not be free from doubt. But as we do that, we will disarm the doubts that are floating around in our lives so that by the Spirit of God and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will continue to step forward in faith. And that is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, to continue to walk by faith every single day, even in the midst of our doubts, and certainly in spite of our doubts, to keep walking toward Jesus. To keep walking toward Jesus.
trusting him, acting as his disciple, knowing that our God is good and he is walking with us. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray for those that might be here and doubting. Maybe they doubt your love. Maybe they doubt your goodness. Maybe they doubt the whole Christian package of things. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to them, encourage them, strengthen them, be merciful to them. And I pray, Father, that we will always be a church that is merciful to those who are doubting, but that also we will always be a church that will press on to a true knowledge of you and your ways, founded in a relationship with you, Father, through Jesus Christ, your Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that every day we would be a people who walk by faith and see you do amazing things. We love you, we honor you, we worship and adore you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.